Welcome to the Beth Yeshua Podcast. For more episodes like this, sermons, and worship, visit BethYeshua.org. to like godly podcasts throughout the week, right? And it's just easy to just like be hearers and not doers. It's like really easy to hear a lot of stuff. But I think our prayer today also should be, okay, God, what do I need to do? What do you want me to actually do? So Father, we surrender this time actively to you. We surrender our hearts and our minds in love to you. Whatever you want, to instruct us in, we ask that you would send your Ruach, send your spirit, who is an instructor and a counselor. That you would send your spirit to bring us that message through all of the other noise. And God, the things that you desire to bring transformation in our lives, the things that we need to actually do and implement, we ask that you would highlight those. And God, that you would give us your strength to accomplish those things instead of our own. Help us to lean on your strength and to be transformed by you and empowered by you. Yeshua's name. Like now that I have scarring in my lungs, it's like I have asthma, you know what I mean? It's kind of weird. It's like so on windy days and stuff like that, I can feel my test, my chest tighten up a little bit. <clears throat> I just feel like, ugh, it's gross. It's pretty exciting when I wake up in the morning to work out, I'll tell you that. I'm surprised I haven't gotten complaints from the neighbors. It's like 4.30 in the morning and I'm out there just like coughing my lungs up in the middle of the street. They're probably thinking somebody's dying or that I'm like spreading COVID to the entire street or something like that. You know, these days, you cough in public in these days, and it's pretty weird. Yeah. And so God has given me a permanent cough. <laughs> hey, that's my life. That's super exciting. Woo. <laughs> and I'm a high school teacher too, right? So the kids are, you know, little reflections of our society. So I cough around them and half of them are like big eyed, like they're going to die. And the other half are like, it's fine. It's fine. Exodus chapter 19. I already read the first part of this, but I just want to go back to that verse five. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. 
although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And so Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, we will do everything Adonai has said. And so Moshe brought their answer back to the Lord. And this is very, very closely following in parallel a traditional Jewish wedding interaction, right? Of like there being this betrothal of like, this is my promise to the bride. Go find out what she says. And then you go to the bride and tell her what the conditions are. It's like the ketubah, right? And she's like, yeah, okay. And then you go back to the bridegroom. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said, and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day, Adonai will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. In fact, he needed to put limits, right? Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you don't go up to the mountain or touch the foot of it, so even part of the mountain. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, may they go up to the mountain. I felt as I was going through this that there was... this profound reality of the aim and the purpose of our lives with God. And these former slaves are being called into a new reality. They're being called into a relationship with a living God who's actually going to descend in glory. But they're also being called to stand before what we say in Hebrew, Diane Emet, the true judge. When God in his glory shows up, he's not your homie, he's the God of the universe. And you rightly tremble and you rightly fear and it reorients your life so that you know you can't live the way you lived before. And I feel like that holy reverence is lost We try to even downplay it in the scriptures when we read that we're supposed to fear God and we tell people, that's not really fear. Yeah, it is. If we went before the living God, as we see people go before the living God, they fall on their faces and it's not just out of respect, it is out of fear and the glory of the living God. You will stand, I will stand before the true judge and he will pierce into our hearts and he will look at our lives. And there is no escape from that. And I often have conversations with some of my students and they don't like this. They don't like the fact that God is a judge. 
They don't like the fact that there are certain standards for a holy God. They don't like the fact that anybody should be allowed to judge them. And yet, then they judge each other all the time. Because that's what we do as people, because that's what's been built into us, because God has us look out at the world and evaluate, and there are things that we instinctively are drawn to that are right, that are good, that are righteous, and there are things that are evil, and we know it. We are built to evaluate. We are built to discern. We are built to judge. And frankly, I also believe that people who don't want God to be a judge, they haven't had horrible things happen to them in their lives and experienced injustice because our judges are perverse. Even if they are godly men and women, they will not deliver justice. We will not have justice until we are at Jerusalem and the true king and judge is seated on the throne. We won't. And it's hard for me, too, because I think that, especially in politics right now, it's like we keep expecting somehow that we're going to have justice. Why? Why are we expecting just rulings out of people, especially the ones that have zero relationship with God? Like, why? And why do we expect that somehow, even though Yeshua himself told us in this life, we will have suffering, do we expect that somehow we, through man's efforts, can make something where there will be no suffering? And when we have that proper fear and that proper respect that we are going to show up before a judge, things tighten up inside. It's like walking into a room of students and they don't know you're there and you see how they behave and then one of them recognizes you and everybody in the classroom gets really straight and they're like, oh, hey, Mr. Rubenstein. Our behavior changes when we know that there's accountability. And that's what God is calling the people to. It's not just the blessing of being treasured. It's the responsibility of what that means. That our lives need to shift so that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live to be a royal priesthood. Which means we have a responsibility to intercede on behalf of the people even when they don't know that they need intercession. That we should go out and present to them Messiah when they don't even know that they need him. We have a responsibility and it shifts our focus because then I'm not living for the approval of these people. I'm living for the approval of Diane Emmet. I'm going to stand before the judge and I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. See, this is the part I think that the Stoic philosophers got right. It's so easy for us to get lost in the minutia of our lives and not have something that we're aiming for. What they totally don't understand, though, these philosophers, is that we need a heart shift so that we can aim for what is proper. And I'm reminded also of the writings of C.S. Lewis, who wrote, the enemy doesn't particularly care what you're distracted by. 
He just wants you distracted. So he'll bring anything into your life if that prevents you from having your eyes on what you're supposed to be headed towards. And then I think sometimes we think, okay, well, you know, that was the call of the Jewish people, royal priesthood, holy nation. And that's, of course, where 1 Peter comes in, right? So let's look at 1 Peter. It's almost the exact same wording. And to put this in a little bit of its context, we go back to the very beginning of 1 Peter before we jump ahead. And we read Peter, Kepha, an apostle of Yeshua the Messiah, to God's elect. So this would be all who were experiencing God's salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, because this is after that revelation, who are strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Yeshua the Messiah and sprinkling by His blood, which is exactly what happens to the people as they come up to the mountain, right? Moshe is told to take blood and sprinkle it upon the people that this is them consecrated to God. We're strangers in this world. This is not your home. We're being set apart for obedience to Yeshua the Messiah. And it comes through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And this is the other thing that philosophers and like there's this whole movement right now of like self-help and all this other stuff. People need to surrender to the Spirit. You can't just make yourself change because at the end of the day, you're still a sinful person. You need internal transformation by surrendering to the Holy Spirit of the living God. He changes what you desire. So then we read in chapter 2, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit. Okay, so that like that angry frustration and wanting and grabbing that malice of life and our deceit. Oh man, we should be the people who radically speak truth. All the time, people should know when they come to a believer in the living God that we're going to say what's true. Why? Because they're not our judge. We're going to stand before the judge. And in him there is no deceit. Hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. That's another prerequisite. How can a person have a righteous life if they've never experienced that the Lord is God? That needs to be, I think, our overwhelming prayer of intercession. Those of us who actually know him and know that he is good is that the people in our lives would know that he's good. Because have you seen the PR about God right now? It's that he is a horrible, vengeful, terrible God. 
which is a lie from the pit of hell. Because the opposite is exactly true, that he gives grace upon grace upon grace, and love upon love upon love, and he draws people to him in loving kindness, and out of that, then we desire to serve. We can't even really rid ourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind until we get a hold of that milk. Until we get a hold of that transformation. Until we recognize that he is good. As you come to him, the living stone, that's Yeshua, who was rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Yeshua, the Messiah. And I just want to slow down there. You are like living stones being built into spiritual, a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And this has echoes of the reality that we are temples of the living God. And it is the spirit of God living inside of us that transforms us and makes us holy. We follow the instructions for the tabernacle, but until God shows up, it's just a tent. If God's not there and we arrange all the stones so it looks like righteousness... And we, and we tell the truth most of the time. And we don't usually slander. And all these other things. It doesn't matter until there's a flame and a fire inside of you. That purifies you from the inside out. Amen. And that's what God has designed us for. He's designed us to be like these little holy temples. That are wandering around and bringing light into the darkness. Everywhere. People should be able to touch us And know that somehow they're touching God because he is coming through us. Our lives should have that kind of impact. May it be so. We are a holy priesthood. A house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices. So we are living for the future reality of standing in front of the judge. I'm sacrificing my life not so I can be a better person. I'm sacrificing my life because he deserves it. I'm transformed because I've experienced his love. And see, then all of these other things that have distracted us don't matter. It doesn't matter when all I'm living for is the true judge. What this world does to you and how unjust or unjust it is does not matter. Because you're not living for justice in this world. I hope not. If so, you're probably really pissed off. And we are, right? We're angry right now because we're not getting justice. That means we're aiming at the wrong thing. Our eyes are not up on the reality who we're laboring for, who we're ministering for. Yes, it spills out onto other people, but I'm not living my life for them, for their approval, because then that could shift us, can't it? Like when I start living my life so that I need the approval of men, my sermons become pretty different. So we have to be diligent to root out in us 
the distraction of all of this stuff and think that we're living for this or that we're trying to accomplish justice and perfection in this world. No, as for you and your house, serve the Lord. Be a temple. Be filled with the Spirit. Be laboring for the true judge. Knowing that it's Him alone who sits on the throne. And we offer these spiritual sacrifices that are sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Yeshua, our Messiah. We don't even have the ability to bring acceptable sacrifices to Him. It's through the sacrifice of Yeshua, our Messiah. And we do this so often. We labor for things. And it's not what we're even to labor for. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion. A chosen and precious cornerstone. This is prophecy about Messiah who was the cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. (coughs) Why? Because everybody's mouth is going to be shut on judgment day. And you're going to just stand before him. We can't be put to shame because we're not living for people. It is people that put us to shame most of the time at the inspiration of the enemy because he loves to blame and destroy and divide. That's what he does. Who cares? Who cares what man does to you? You're not working for them. You're working for Adonai. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who don't believe, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Even though they reject him, he is the capstone. And he is a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. This always reminds me of the time that we spent on the road with Jews for Jesus. You can have a spiritual conversation with Jewish people about anything. You can talk about Buddhism. You can talk about like any other religion. It didn't matter at all. Eastern meditation, whatever else. But the moment you mention Jesus... Conversation changed. Oh, you're one of them. That's why on our shirt, it said Jews for Jesus. He's a stumbling block. And we're not trying to hide it. This is who we love. So it's okay for you to get tripped up. And people would. I remember people trying to spit on me in the subway in New York. Little old guy. And he was really upset. I think he was upset because of his family that had passed in the Holocaust. But in his mind, Yeshua was the cause for that. That's heavy. That's not who our Messiah is, but he wouldn't even stop and listen. Now, as we continue, people stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for, which is that good news. It doesn't feel like good news sometimes to people that they have to surrender their life. We want so desperately to be in control, don't we? And I think, I think that's one of the biggest manipulations. I know I'm just, I'm just going to say in my life that the enemy has done to me. It's given me the illusion of control. Made me think that somehow, through my own efforts, that I can make things happen. And those things are planted in unrighteousness. And so the fruit that they bear is unrighteous. But you, 
You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The first thing that we do is to praise him. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and just like, we're just in love with him. So we go, and everywhere we go, we praise him, and we tell people the goodness of God, because we can't help it, because we've experienced so much of his goodness. It's like being able to forgive people because you recognize you've been forgiven so much, or love people because you know you love so much. But when you don't have that, it's so hard to forgive, and it's so hard to love. It's so hard to do the things that Peter calls us to do, unless we are genuinely Transform. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And this is really cool to me because we have this issue uniquely in Messianic Judaism of Jews and Gentiles. And people are like, well, what's my role? And what's my role? And what are the things that I'm supposed to do? And what are the things I'm not supposed to do? And all this other stuff. And this beautiful, sweet thing is happening here where Kifa is saying, no, no, no. Those of you who love Messiah, you are part of the royal priesthood. All of us, Jews and Gentiles. Now, we may have unique things to do that God calls us to, but we are all part of the royal priesthood. We all praise God together. And I think he likes that. I think that God enjoys the reality of tearing down that dividing wall. And it's really interesting here because when you look at the translation, it says, like, you're no longer like the pagans, right? Live such good lives among the pagans, which is actually like kind of goyim, like this idea of the nations. But they're translating it as pagans. But if you go back to Torah, this is the distinction between Jews and Gentiles, right? You have the Jewish people and you have the nations, all of the surrounding nations who don't necessarily know God, and so it becomes kind of conflated with them being pagans, which is not always true, because many of them worship the one true God and came into the nation even, right? And so what he's saying here is that like everyone who loves God is actually part of that priesthood, and so when you go out to the nations then, Jews and Gentiles, when we all go out, we show them who God is by our lives. It's the same exact calling. And I happen to believe, this is just from my years of experience, that people who were not born Jewish happen to be much better at their lives reaching Jewish people. And there are straight up pagan Jewish people right now. They've got Jewish blood, but they do not have the blessings because they are not in love with Messiah and they don't even know him. And people who are not of Jewish descent and bring that good news and live that life, provoke them to envy. They can't figure it out. What is different about you? And I also happen to think that the Jewish people, those of us who are Jewish by descent, we have a gifting to reach out to those who are not Jewish. They are also kind of tricked out by us. Like, what are you? Like the other day I showed up for a time of prayer. It's really cool. One of my colleagues was like, hey, there's a lot of people that are sick from COVID. A couple of them are in ICU. Can we get together after school and pray? I was like, I'm going to support that. Yep. And there was like 20 people out there praying in the amphitheater for healing. And I showed up and they're like, why is Ruben's not here? It's really cool. 
And it was like this, like, oh, like all these little conversations are going to open up now. Um, what, what exactly are you? Well, I'm a Jew, but I love the Jewish Messiah just like you do. So there's this blessing that comes from it. When we have our eyes on that future reality, our lives come into order. It's like not having to wrestle with whether or not you should do something because you know who you are. I am not the kind of person who lies because I'm going to stand before my Father and I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I am not the kind of person who's going to allow that egregious sin to just hang out in my life because I know that I need to be a light to the people that are around me. And I can't laugh at the same things that they laugh at. It shifts because it becomes who you are. You are a child of the King. And if you are in love with Messiah, you are part of a chosen people and a royal priesthood. And we have a duty to this world. We have a responsibility to serve this world even when they don't know how. They don't even know why and they wouldn't even necessarily want us to. And then I was just reminded of 2 Timothy. We'll conclude with this. Second Timothy chapter four, and here's the the Jewish rabbi who was encountered by Yeshua and became the apostle to the nations, giving instructions to Timothy as a younger Jewish believer of how to lead, how to be a godly man and writing even these letters from prison for what he had done, Rav Shaul and the Apostle Paul. Chapter four, in the presence of God and of Messiah Yeshua, who will judge the living and the dead. Okay, that's his perspective. That's Paul's perspective. Like, I am like calling upon the reality of like, I'm gonna stand before God and I'm gonna stand before Yeshua. Therefore, you know what I'm about to say is real. I'm not saying it to please you. I'm saying it because I'm going to stand before them. Who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Like I charge you, look at the reality that you're going to stand before the judge. And this is what you should do. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct. Rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's like everyday life, right? Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head 
Get your eyes fixed. In all situations, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. And now, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. And that's even what we pray when we pray the mourner's cottage here in a moment. We are praying for him to come soon. We're longing for our Messiah to come back. Guys, aren't you sick of the brokenness of this world? Aren't you desperate for him to be back? Aren't you desperate that we could be faithful until that day, no matter how long he tarries, so that we would just hear from him, you fought the good fight. You ran a good race. Come into the rest that I have for you. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yes. That's what I want. Father, we ask that you would give us the grace to refocus our lives. To be reminded that we will stand before the judge. And that that thought would sober us up and tighten us. And that we would live with greater purpose. That we would not be ashamed. That we would be filled with courage, knowing that we're going to stand before you. God, there's so much noise in this world and I'm just asking you to help us, remind us. I ask that your spirit each day this week even would remind each of us that we are not laboring for ourselves even. We're not laboring for the people around us. We're laboring for you. You are the king who gives out the talents to his students. We're laboring for you. God, if we have things that we're doing in our life out of our own strength, help us to recognize it. And if those are things that we're to give up, give us the grace to surrender and to let go. Help us to be only busy with what you want. God, give us the desire for this again. God, send your spirit even now to give us the desire for the things that are holy to please you because of your love. God, let your spirit come upon each one of us, whether we're here in this room or online. Let your spirit fill us with the knowledge of the love of Messiah in our innermost being. God, I pray that every single person would know that Yeshua loved them enough to go and to take that burden, to take the cross, which we could not bear. Fill us up 
so that we can pour out for you, God. Thank you for listening. Visit BethYeshua.org for more.